So, The Eve of Insurrection is a science fiction series set in a somewhat distant future where corporations have built underground cities. And my main character, Lana Baker, she's a wealthy Black woman, and she uses her family's wealth and technology to protect other communities and their own. And Lana's getting to a point in her career where nothing is changing. She's exhausted. She has one last thing she could do that could change the entire world. But I'm going to have to leave it there. I can't say anything anything else, but... Welcome to Issues on Issues, a weekly podcast series brought to you by the team at Brilliance, where we share our take on all aspects related to the graphic novel industry. We discuss and debate current events within the comic community and allegorical themes illustrated in various creative works. This week, we meet with Jordan Jackson, a talented illustrator and independent comic book creator. We also discuss our issues of interest, including Tokyo Ghost and Righteous Thirst for Vengeance, both by Rick Remender, as well as Joker by Brian Azzarello. But first, we discuss some current events, including the latest in the DCU, as well as Doctor Strange winning at the People's Choice Awards. Please be advised that our conversations may contain spoilers of the works discussed. Stick with us for more right after this quick commercial break. Comic book creators, revolutionize your platform, supercharge your value, engage your fans like never before. Welcome to Brilliance. Current e-publishing models limit your access to readers, impose pricing restrictions, and offer tiny royalties. Brilliance is a new e-publishing platform. At Brilliance, crowdfund concepts, connect with your readers, set your prices, and enjoy royalties that endure. Let's establish this new paradigm together. Learn more at Brilliance.io. That's Brilliance.io. Sign up today to publish for free. What do you want to talk about this week? I wanted to tap your brain and talk to you about what's going on with the DC universe, man. A lot of stuff, you know, a lot of stuff is going on. You know, to be honest with you, I haven't even had a chance. Please tell me what's going on with it. You know, just reading a bunch of articles, everything going on with um, James Gunn and everything over over at DC. A lot of different things. I'm trying to figure out where to begin, right? Um, let's see. You know, he's canceling a lot of projects. You know, which, you know, not too... Well, DC's been canceling projects left and right since, you know, forever, so... Right. (laughs) Yeah, so, but, I mean, like, I guess it's, like, big projects? Like, what's going on? Like, Wonder Woman 3 has been canceled, Mm. you know? And then there's talk of him just completely axing the Snyderverse. Mm. Yeah, no, I mean, that completely makes sense. I mean, to be honest with you, to to start fresh, because, honestly, as much as there are fans of the Snyderverse out there... It's not really, I don't know, I don't want to say comic book accurate, but it's, it's, it's you know, it's it's kind of like a like somewhat derivative of what people see on the pages. Like, obviously, Aquaman is nothing like you see on the pages in DC Comics. We all know all the troubles that have followed Ezra Miller <laughs> and all the problems that they've gotten into. And they weren't really a, a good representation of The Flash, if you ask me. And obviously, you know, we all know what's going on with Batflex. So the whole Snyderverse is kind of in turmoil anyway. So to start over makes perfect sense to me. Well, that's my thing, Britt. You know, I, I hear you and I agree. That makes sense. But to hear that they're going to push up the date 
on the Flash movie. You know, it's 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 kind of interesting. Like I would understand if they're they're clearing slate, right? But to then push up the date on the Flash and to lean into Ezra Miller is perplexing to me, knowing all the controversies that surrounded that. This is the opportunity, as we talked about before. This is the opportunity just to clean slate, right? Um, so I was surprised to to see that you know they're going to get rid of some of these other. You know, I mean, I get Wonder Woman. The, the second movie was questionable. Um, it was pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to argue that. Yeah, it was it was pretty bad. But, you know, I just just to hold on to the flash like they are. It's confusing because I would think they would just, you know, the argument would be that this is the transition but if they're going to clean slate, just clean slate. And that would probably be, to me, be one of the ones that you would just at least just shelve. Well, yes and no. I mean, conceptually, that makes sense. But the amount of money and, and resources that they poured into that movie, like they have to get a return on that. So they have to put it out there. Like you can't just, you know, get zero out of that. You so think- I under, I so, so yes, definitely. I mean. I mean, a lot of their the universe was banked on that, um, you know, and that's why they've been fighting so hard to keep Ezra Miller around because they are the star of the movie. And it's one of those things where, you know, again, the studio has invested too much into this for it to fail. So they have to put it out. And if you ask me the, the fact that they you said they moved up to date. Mm hmm. That just proves to me that they're just trying to cash out on this. They're trying to make some money on it because, you know, if they if they had moved back the date, that that would tell me that they're doing research shoots and they're trying to hone it and get it good. But this just proves that they're just trying to dump it and get money and then just and be done with it. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That would make more sense. I, I think hopefully the stands and everybody else give um, the new guys a chance you know, give James Gunn a chance, you know, give him 10 years to put down a plan and let's see where it goes. You know, I'm fine with them getting rid of the Snyderverse if they're going to go in a new direction and and build from scratch. But, you know, there's also talk about people are also upset about Jason Momoa retiring at Aquaman only to pick up as Lobo. There's some controversy over that. And then also the controversy around Henry Cavill returning as uh, Superman. I know. um, So, or at least debate how that kind of went down. All right. Do you want to dissect that at all? Like what? Well, first of all, I think uh, Jason Momoa should have been Lobo from the beginning. Like that, that should have been a character that he should have been up for. Like he should have never been Aquaman. Yeah, so, he, he makes uh, Lobo. Sure. <laughs> Aquaman almost looks like Lobo. Sort of. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. The, you know, he, he, he looks like the main man. So mm-hmm. that, that I like that move. Um, so if if you're asking me, do do I like the changes? I mean that that change makes perfect sense. Um, now, controversy behind Henry Cavill coming back, I haven't heard anything about that. I mean i I haven't seen Black Adam, but I I did see a clip of the uh, post credit scene where he shows up, mm-hmm. and uh, you know it wasn't much. They just they're just talking. Um, but you know, I, I don't know if they, like, I wouldn't mind them redoing Superman because this idea that Superman is 
like you know in the end of the movie he shows up at the behest of amanda waller and i mean that's just that's just all the way wrong like superman would never work with amanda waller and he would never he would never like be under her he would never be at her beck and call so you know i i feel like there are some conceptual things that go on that could be changed in the dc universe and i, I wouldn't mind that i i'm totally down for the changes yeah all right yeah you're making some good points uh i think i think this the controversy was more just around they didn't want to bring him back and it was probably more pay a pay thing versus um anything else and um you know, I think The Rock was really pushing to have Henry Cavill um, return as Superman. But. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess he wanted to put his Rock against an established superhero. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, if you put it against like another guy, it's kind of like it, it kind of lessens maybe the the brand of Black Adam. Right. It doesn't mean anything. Um, like, who's this new guy? You know, but, you know, yeah. power Superman and the fandom already there. So, yeah. Yeah. It brings up. Yeah. Black Adam to that level. Speaking of which, yeah, no. you know, like I, I guess um, the Rock had a good start, but I think I've, I've heard rumors that Black Adam is considered a flop now. Is that what you've been hearing? Uh I mean, I I always been con- questionable what Black Adam was. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't think anyone was definitively saying it was good or bad or you know like a flop or a success. Um. If anything, people were just saying like it was just a popcorn movie and it was like a good um what's the word I'm like it, it kind of bridged the gap between what you know was DC and what will be DC. Like it was a perfect like stop gap. You know, it made some money, it, it kind of changed some things and you know, re and introduced some new characters. So but no one, I don't I don't know if anyone but he might be able to stay around. I, I don't really care. But, you know, Shazam is really popular. So, you know, if Shazam is going to stay around, which it seems to be the case, at least for now, um, there's always the possibility that Black Adam might show up. Right. If you ask me, that should have happened just in the first movie, then they should like how how is it that you're going to have two Shazam movies and a Black Adam movie and they don't cross over yet? Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But you know, and I mean, you know, and Shazam is a fun movie. Um, yeah, I just, <laughs> I feel like if if they were gonna, if if they were if they had done it right, they probably would have tied those two stories together some kind of way. <laughs> yeah. Well, alright, we'll see. Yeah. The we'll other see. thing, go, but go ahead. No, go ahead. I was, I was switching it up a little bit, but still staying within the DC uh, universe. Um, you mentioned Blue Beetle, you know, coming out next year. Mm. Yeah, man. So, I mean, you know, you, you put me onto Blue Beetle. I wasn't, I'm still, you know, catching up on, on Young Justice. You know, you, you got me watching Young Justice now. Uh, oh, you watching it now? Yeah, man. Yeah. I, I listen to your recommendations. It's, it's good, but, you know, still still got plenty, plenty to go. But um, what's up with Blue Beetle, Britt? Oh I, shoot! Blue Beetle is is like a really cool superhero. Um, so this iteration of Blue Beetle is going to be the Jaime Reyes Blue Beetle. But you know, for those who know the history, it started out with Ted Cord, who was like uh like a scientist who uh found like this ancient artifact, and uh it turns out that it's actually um 
uh, device that kind of is like a uh, what do I call it? It's almost like a symbiote that links onto your body and then uh, gives the user like super advanced like technology and weaponry, uh, like alien technology and weaponry. Mm-hmm. And uh, in this iteration, it's Jaime Reyes, and I'm not familiar with his exact origin story, which is why I'm excited for this property because I want to see if like they if they could tell a, a good iteration of it, but. He's a really cool character, but you know it's it's a really cool story for you know our our, our Latino brothers and sisters out there uh, to have like a young superhero represent them, and uh, you know he has a really cool power set again like high tech alien weaponry, and it's 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 interesting because he has uh, the the scarab or like the symbiote that attaches to him uh, has a has a consciousness of his own. So there's a lot of dialogue, internal dialogue between him and the Scarab, and they they battle back and forth as to what the right thing to do is in in situations. <laughs> and uh, uh, you know, it, it's 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 a really cool coming of age story, or I feel like it could be a really cool coming of age story. So that's why I'm excited about it. So um, kind of like Moon Knight at all? Would you say? Uh, or like, or like well, Moon, Moon Knight. Moon, Moon Knight more has like multiple personalities within himself, mm-hmm. whereas this this is just like, like it's 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 more like I would say Venom, you know. Where yeah, yeah. that's a good example. But yeah, no, I'm I'm excited about it. Um, uh, what's the Karate Kid spinoff that has been on TV? Uh, Cobra Kai. Yeah. So the um the star from that show, Zolo Maraduena, is going to be playing uh, Jaime Reyes. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you've caught Cobra Kai at all on Netflix. How was it? Or, you... <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> it's, 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 the, it's a bad show, but in the best uh, way. That's a good show, then. Because <laughs> it, it hits all nostalgia, and, it, and it's very self-aware. It knows that it's, it's, it's not a good show, but it knows that it's, it, it's poking fun of itself. It's very tongue-in-cheek. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, I'm just, I, he did a really great job at making a really corny role <laughs> on Cobra Kai, like fun and, and cool. And, uh, so, and not only that though, he did some, like, I don't know if he's a martial artist himself, but like, I, I can tell that he's worked on his martial arts. So, you know, hopefully he can deliver some good action scenes as well. That's what's up. So to all the listeners out there, let us know if you're excited about, uh, Blue Beetle, let us know if if which one was your favorite. Likely, probably everybody listening is is probably the most recent one. But uh, if there are fans out there that liked one of the older ones, let us know. Yeah, man. Um, and then real quick, I just wanted to mention uh, it was a really good day for the MCU at the People's Choice Awards. Did you hear about this? Ah, uh, yeah, you, you shared a little bit, but but yeah, man, tell me more about that. Uh, basically, Doctor Strange: Multiverse of Madness was the big winner of the night. It won Movie of the Year, I want to say. Mm-hmm. In addition, uh, Elizabeth Olsen won uh, Female Performer of the Year, and she won Action Star of the Year as well. <laughs> were, you, were you surprised by that? Uh, I mean, yes. First of all, <laughs> <laughs> yes, obviously. I mean, I I love. When uh, Elizabeth Olsen does her, you know, hand, you know, Wanda Mas- Maximoff magic where she like contorts herself and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I've never really thought of her as, as an action star. But I mean, 
clearly Multiverse of Madness was an action movie, so and she was in it, so I give her that. Um, it's just so funny though because it comes on the heels of with Bob Iger coming back, how the MCU was going to focus on quality and not quantity of shows coming out and and stuff and movies coming out. Um, because you know, obviously, Phase Four has been kind of mired in a lot of you know, uh, you know mundane kind of excitement or enthusiasm for it you know it's been met with like kind of like lukewarm enthusiasm Mm -hmm. and uh you know even there's i want to say there's petitions out there to kind of uh change the mcu or or to or to redo the phase four i i want to say what (laughs) that's crazy they just need to keep it moving why do you think it is why do you think there there are it it was or people feel it was ho-hum like, why do you think, if you agree with that, why do you think it that was the result of what they put out? Well, I mean, you know, it's just because, well, first of all, we, phase three just ended with such a bang, you know, like Infinity War and Endgame were such a, a emotional roller coaster uh, that, uh, you know, whatever was come after, it wasn't going to, was obviously going to be not as good. And I feel like we're just kind of focusing on heroes that, uh were kind of like second tier heroes throughout the first three phases, but now we're trying to elevate them to to first tier heroes, and I feel like people are just you know missing the nostalgia of their their old their old heroes. Yeah. But you know, and obviously, you know, this phase is especially with the Disney Plus shows has been more slice of life stuff, especially things like you know. Uh, she-Hulk is definitely a slice of life type of show. It's not like intergalactic alien wars. Uh, what else? Uh, WandaVision was very, yeah, Ms. Marvel, very slice of life. Just dealing with your day-to-day, living in your town, you know, raising your kids, being a teenager. And I feel like when people come to the MCU, they've, they've normally come to see aliens coming out of a portal, you know? <laughs> so it's just a different a shift in kind of tone. But I mean, it, the true fans are fans of the comics. I want to say, know that everything that's come out has been, you know, true to the actual source material. So um, I'm good with it, but the fanboys out there, they need something to do. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I liked it, man. I, I've been enjoying it. So whatever. <laughs> I've, yeah. I've been enjoying it, uh, but that's all I got, man. All right. Good stuff. Good stuff. There's never been anything like this. Hello, and welcome to the Highly Minded Podcast. We always say that low minds talk about people, average minds talk about events, and high minds talk about ideas. We talk about it all. Yeah. (laughs) Available now on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all of your other favorite podcast platforms. All right, guys, let's uh, transition on into some issues of interest. This is the time of the the show when we get a chance to take a a minute to discuss some issues that we're reading and and what we like about them. Today, we're going to be covering Tokyo Ghost. 
number one, Joker number one, and A Righteous Thirst for Vengeance number one. Uh, Britt, why don't you lead off today? Tell us a little bit about Tokyo Ghost. My issue of interest is Tokyo Ghost. It's distributed by Image, uh, written by Rick Remender, and pictures by Sean Murphy. Uh, and in this book, it's kind of a dystopian t- future. What am I talking about? Kind of. It's a very dystopian future. <laughs> um, we come in on the year 2089 on the Isles of Los Angeles. Basically, the world is in shambles. Uh, pollution has run amok. The only solace that most people seek is in technology uh, where they have implants in their body that displays holograms in front of their eyes. And uh, that's kind of how people surf through the net and intake their media, television, all that type of stuff. Now, unfortunately, you have to pay for that. So you have to always be working in order to pay to have, you know, internet beamed into your brain. And most people are poor and just, you know, scrounging for scraps of anything they can get a part of. In fact, the world is so terrible and so dystopian that there's only one forested place on the planet. And it's just mostly a, a myth or a legend, but they say it's in Tokyo. Um, hmm. But that's later down the line. We, we get to that. Um, in this specific issue, our main protagonist uh, is a woman named Debbie Decay. And she's an assistant to Constable Led Dent. Now, Led is basically an enforcer for a really rich person. And they have a mission to find one of the boss's main threats, which is another guy named Davey Trauma. Now, Davey Trauma is a hacker. And from all accounts, pretty much everyone on the planet has this chip implanted in them that, you know, gives them their phone and, you know, media uh, and, and, and all that sort of stuff, internet. And he's able to hack into that chip. And basically anybody on the planet, he can hack into them and control their, their thoughts, their, their actions and, and their intentions. So he's obviously a major threat to the power establishment. So, Debbie and Led are looking for him, and Debbie actually is able to find him. Now, the only problem is Led, who is basically who she's assisting, is like one of the most addicted kind <laughs> of uh, <laughs> junkies to the the implant that's inside of him. So she does all the detective work, and she finds this guy, Trauma, who they're looking for in kind of a seedy back alley club and she's calling lead like hey look we need to capture this guy he's here he might make me he might spot me i need your help i need your backup and lead is just so into whatever's happening on his screen like you know there's something where they're talking about like like the stupidest things you could think of like idiocracy type programming he's just the two into it and she's like look I'm, i'm in here i'm in danger come and get me So uh, eventually the bad guys do identify her. There's a little bit of a chase and she's able to escape by running through a crowd. Unfortunately for the crowd, this guy, Davey Trauma, doesn't care about any of them and just unleashes so much destruction and chaos. He he takes out like half of the crowd that, you know, that had gathered to watch car races or whatever was going on. Eventually, Led 
steps into the fight and saves Debbie and eventually captures Davy Trauma. And we kind of ended there because this was supposed to be the job that was supposed to give them enough money that they could, you know, cash out and, and try to go somewhere and, and live a normal life again. And uh, we leave at a cliffhanger where, you know, will they or won't they? Um, but I, I just, I just, you know, really enjoy this book. It came out in 2016, I believe. And I think it's really interesting kind of looking to, you know, one, the environment, uh, you know, there's a lot of environmental issues going on today. And secondly, just the, the, the use or maybe overuse of technology and kind of how people become addicted to it and how it kind of maybe dumbs people down or, or distracts them for what's really going on around them in the world. So I just thought it was a really good issue to kind of talk about those topics. Yeah, that was that was a really good summary, Britt. I mean, I think I actually enjoyed your summary more than I enjoyed <laughs> the book. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think if, if you were to tell me what you just told me, I'd, I, I would have enjoyed it. But um, I think, you know, what, what took it away from me was <laughs> maybe the maybe the art. Um, I just wasn't in sync with the, with the artwork. Um, I think it, really? I guess it kind of fit. I guess it kind of fit the theme if you're into that. But it just it just was too, too wild for me. It's busy. Yeah, it was just too busy for me. Well, that, um, but that's like the that's like the point, right? The characters always have like this, like just all these distracted distractions are overstimulated, and the, the book is all overstimulating itself. I don't know. That's what I thought that they were trying to. Go yeah, through. yeah, I, I I agree. I agree. I think I think it's it's right with that story, but it's just it was just too much for me. I was like, oh god, this is just too much. That was just my my take on it. But. <laughs> yeah, and I think like stories like this, right, they try to bring you into their world immediately, so it's tough. I, I always struggle kind of getting into the world when like they, they, they kind of jump you in you know, both feet first, and you got to figure out the terminology, and you got to figure out kind of like who's speaking, because you know, it's different. And this, and this, this is a future, so the language is a little bit different, and then um, it, it's, it's a little tough initially to figure out like, okay, like Get, or get your bearings like okay like where, where how does this world really work that they're trying to set up um but then like once you once you get into it a little bit more it gets a little easier but yeah i agree with i agree with joffrey Britt. like you the way you described it was, was very clear it, it takes a, a little time when you're reading it to kind of piece together like who these characters are their relationship to each other and what they're trying to ultimately achieve yeah no i i, I remember when i first heard about it and you know decided to pick it up and it it took me a while, but there was like there's one panel, especially um, when Debbie is running into the crowd that's watching the car races and she's while she's trying to escape. And there's a scene where they're at the top of the steps and she's kind of running down the steps trying to avoid them. And it took me like five minutes to decode that page. But once I figured out like, <laughs> oh, this is the perspective from them looking down at her. And then this is the perspective, the next page of her looking up at them. It, it it immediately changed everything. You know what I mean? Like there's there's a lot of perspective play when in terms about when you talk about like the art and illustrations in this book. But um I get that. I, I totally understand that. I feel like once you kind of sit with it and are able to identify like the flow of it, it it be, it's 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 a genius book. I, I I think it's one of my like it's one of my favorite books. It, it was one of the first books that I read that wasn't just strictly capes and superhero tights you know what i mean like this was like different yeah yeah it's got to like um you know it's got like kind of like some 
some nods to anime and so just other things that have popped up yeah. too. Like, I mean, feels a little, oh, there's yeah, a little totally. some bits of it feel a little Akira-ish. I mean, it, it's cool though. I mean, um, I, the idea that you are inundated with the internet and all the, all that comes with it on a regular basis. I mean, that's, that's real, right? We have our phones. Um, but you know, to have it like right in front of your face. I mean, that's not, that's not that far in the future, man. I mean, they, they already had the, the Google glasses and they, they've been trying to get, and I mean, they, I mean, like, you know, like the industries have been trying to get like the content right in front of you um, for a while now. And eventually they'll, they'll, you know, there'll be a format that's socially acceptable and that, this is definitely coming. And it'll be interesting to see kind of how it all plays out. If you do have access to the internet in front of your face 24 seven, like how, how that's going to play out for society. Yeah. Yeah. And at the end of the, that, issue you could see when she was trying to wake him up you know out of, of getting him away from the all the the media and um, he still chose the media you know still chose the drug over her you know but that was interesting mm-hmm. yeah and and you know i've i've obviously finished this series like you know down the line we we realized what led led his, his, his name is led yeah what led led to kind of be a junkie and addicted to these you know this internet because i mean it's it's basically a dopamine rush you know what i mean like he needs Mm -hmm. the dopamine from everything he's watching from you know just stupid like stuff to like you know sexy stuff to like you know just ads about you know products and things like that like he needs the rush in order to sustain this body that he's in and and to keep him going while fighting bad guys because he's always like you know if he ever had a down moment, he would ne- he would never be able to function again. <laughs> it's like a, it's like an escape for him then. I mean, he's 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 in one he's in constant escape mode because what he has to do and and what he has done to to be where he is at this point is is just too much for him. You I know, it. I got it. So it's like it's like. So is is it a mental thing or is it a physical thing? Like you know, like what was that crank or something where he, he just had to stay high in order to just keep going because or else he'll die. Is it like that or is it you know <laughs> mental? He needs to escape mentally. Uh, it, it's 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 a little bit of both. Like I mean, basically, you know, in, in the future you can in in this book you can augment yourself. Like you know, there's people with all sorts of like tech attachments and stuff like that. And uh, he had to do something that was mentally and physically. Uh, he had to go through a mental and physical change in order for him to be, you know, this big badass, you know, enforcer. And you know, mm-hmm. and then from what he's done as an enforcer, you know, he kind of needs to escape. You know, and and it makes him more efficient, makes him more deadly. Like he's colder, like he doesn't care. Like, you know, he only just needs. He only wants to go back to his his programming. He only wants to go back to his shows <laughs> and he'll do whatever he needs to do to you to end it real fast. So he can go back to just, you know, watching his shows on his face. This idea, you know, people augmenting themselves for specific jobs, you know, with technology. Um, you know, like I said, you can see that a lot of times in anime as well. And like, do, do you think that that's, that's, that's an actual future that can happen? Do you think people will really, like, will, will replace, let's say, like an arm for a robotic one just just to lift things? Like, do you, do you see that being a future? Or you think that's all fantasy? I, not at first. It'll probably be people who are, like, you know, amputees and stuff like that. And then, you know, once, like, 
once like that amputee like wins like the hundred meter dash, like you know, you know how like the guys have like the the metal legs and they're yeah, the and blades. they're actually not, yeah. yeah, they're not actually able to run against actual athletes because I feel like the blades make you faster than your normal legs, right? Right. Yeah, that was that was the criticism that that uh, what's the name of that that Olympic runner, um, Petoris? The one that killed his, yeah, uh, was, killed his like, fiance or something. I was like Petoris or something like that, right? And he something like that. He, yeah, they were just basically making an argument. Yeah, to to to, to your point, like that, it, there was like uh, immense technological advances at play that that actually created like an advantage over you know people with just you know um, natural legs. Yeah, yeah. Eventually, you know, when when people start seeing that, or or, or if you know, like if if there's a way to pit that against you know naturally born people, I I think there's going to be a, a some sort of, you know, interest in maybe augmenting themselves. I mean, you know, I mean, shoot, <laughs> you can go on like TikTok and Instagram. It like half the, you know, these models and things are all augmented. <laughs> yeah, are you talking about with the filters? With with anything, with actual surgeries, with everything. Like people yeah, sure. are going for it. Like, so, you know, I, I don't think people are opposed to augmenting their bodies. I just, they just have to find the advantage of it. And I think, I think it could happen. Now, I don't know if it's going to happen in our lifetime, but I, it doesn't seem that far-fetched to me. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, um, let's, let's pivot from there. Um, I thought that I would go next because uh, we had the same writer, uh, but a completely different style and uh, nice to put them next to each other. So the book I had was A Righteous Thirst for Vengeance. It was distributed by Image. The writer, again, is Rick Remender. The artist is Andre Lima Arujo. Colors by Chris O'Halloran. And letters by Russ Wooten. And um, if I were to describe a theme of this first issue, I'd say it would be no good deed goes unpunished. Um, So it takes place in Vancouver, British Columbia. And we have an unnamed protagonist who's having a crappy day. Uh, he goes outside and all of a sudden it starts to rain. His cigarettes get wet. Um, he's reminded repeatedly that he should get an umbrella. And he, he tries to do nice things like um, let let like an old lady on the bus first, but they take so long and he just keeps getting wet. Um, and he goes into the store to, to get to, you know, to buy some more cigarettes. And he ends up bumping into a guy and he, he lets out all his frustration on him and um, he ends up trying to catch the bus again and he there's like a bird having a seizure and um, he gets on the bus and then he ends up getting off to put the bird out of its misery ends up missing the bus and he finally gets to his destination uh, late and he goes inside only to to find out that the people he was going to see were were killed and he puts the pieces together and he realizes the guy that he bumped into in the convenience store was the guy that actually killed them now he's trying to put the pieces together and figure things out um so you know it was just really interesting a lot of this issue was told through the images instead of um the words on the page and um it just kind of seems seems like it's going to be an interesting story to see where this this mystery goes um uh, yeah i mean basically the plot is like rich people are, are hunting down like a family from what i from what i could gather 
Yeah, well, you know, I kind of I didn't get too far into it yet because I wanted to keep this issue fresh and fresh in my head. But um, it's it's all a mystery. It's it's some guy kind of looks. Um, I don't know if he's psychotic or, or what, but there's something going on for why he. Oh, oh yeah, like in the begin. Well, no, in the beginning, there's he's reading something about was it like a a kidnapping or a rape or something and and um there was something he was reading in like the paper or like in his on his phone about a, a trial that something went a different direction than than they thought it was going to go but it's really not clear as far as why that that couple was was killed and, and they weren't just killed they were like tortured and um you know he he ended up because he stepped on the bird he his his footprint is all over the place even though he tried to clean it up so you know so there's a trail there and he kind of he kind of basically turns himself into a, a a target of of these people just by like traipsing around, around and leaving like all these clues and evidence that he was there at the scene. Yeah, so so now now he's a target because he is witness and he's he's involved. Yeah, that's an interesting story of like how the tables can turn, like you know how how you think it could be all going one way one day and then the next it's going the complete opposite. Yeah, it's interesting because um, later on, you know, you see like he gets home and he goes through and he he seems to have like this um, USB key that allows him to get on the dark web um, to look some stuff up. And, um, you know, like he, he can see people doing a hit and he's able like he ends up going to this place and acting like he's somebody else. And he's actually like there where they're going to do a hit on a guy and he's just trying to figure things out and basically he's involved in this murder but he's like it wasn't really his plan to be to be a part of the murder he just was trying to figure out what's going on so he just just gets further and further caught up in this uh in this this world but you don't i don't you don't really know is he a good guy a bad guy what role does he play why does he have a, a usb key that allows him to have access to the dark web you know it seems like he's very familiar at least somewhat familiar with the, the that's that type of world so the, the um, dark underbelly of <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so i mean I, I don't have a usb key that gives me access to sitting in a you know a loose plank in my floor no no I mean, you don't have that I, I guess i guess you guys have that but that's that's not how i roll it, so <laughs> i plead the fifth so what, one what more thing I, I just Okay. Oh, go ahead, man. Go ahead. One more thing. I, I was looking at the cover. I mean, the guy just looks exactly like Benedict Wong. Exactly. I meant to say that. I I meant to say that. Yeah, he looks exactly like Benedict Wong, and uh, I think that'd be dope to see him play a character like this. Could be, you know, that'd be so cool. It seems a little bit more uh, gritty than the role that he's playing in uh, Doctor Strange. Hey, Joffrey, what did you think about the artwork in this? I liked it. I liked it, you know, particularly after after Tokyo Ghost, it was like this was like soothing and just <laughs> easy and gentle. <laughs> and I could just I could just look at the pictures and, and see the, how the story unfolded. Yeah. You know, I enjoyed it. What were your thoughts? Uh, you know, I, I like a little bit more, um, a little bit more going on, but it's, it's fine. It's clean. I mean, I think you're right. It's clean. It's just, you know, there's not a, like on any given page. There's not much going on. Right. It's kind of like sparse. Would, would you agree mm-hmm. with that? Like with the other one, a lot, a lot. I mean, it took me a while to read a page. It was like a lot of words and a lot of action, a lot of things going on. Like this one, like you know, be like six or seven panels and maybe only two or three words. 
Yeah. And I think that was that was what I thought was cool to put these two next to each other to show, you know, it's the same writer, you know, but it's just the styles are just so different. Um, so it's cool to see how how, you know, the same writer can tell two different types of stories and with with the the, the team of the artist and how it's portrayed, you know. Are you going to keep reading? Are you going to keep going with this one? Yeah, I'm definitely. I, I like. I'm into. I'm curious. I want to see where this goes. Uh, yeah, and it seems like an easy, easy read because you know it's not too many words, so fly through it. But I, I enjoy the art, so you know it's enjoyable for me. Yeah, I was just gonna say though, that's kind of Rick Remender's style. Like he either goes like super futuristic dystopian, or he does like something that's like really gritty, grounded, like like street level crime. So yeah, the, if anything, I, I just when I think about Rick Remender, he's he's either like really super futuristic dystopianness, or he's very like street level, like grounded, gritty stuff. That's kind of his his deal. Cool. I mean, that's an interesting range, right? I mean, that doesn't feel mm-hmm. like they feel like two different, completely different styles. If you think about it, like one's very realistic, the other one is very much like you know not. Yeah, fan- fantasy. Yeah, right. out there. Yeah, I, I can't. Off the top of my head, I can't think of a lot of people who display that range, you know, simultaneously. But. Yeah, well, he's 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 another one of my favorite writers. Like he's he's okay. definitely top five for me. So, like you know, I'm just <laughs> anytime I can talk I talk up my favorite writers, I I, I take the opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Cool. All right, well, Chris, why don't you bring us home? Tell us about uh, Joker. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, so this is uh, Brian uh, Azzarello, and this is Joker. This is under the DC Black Label, and uh, so this is another. Um, this is another one of those like focuses on like on like a, a main character type of of books, and it's just, it's just really straightforward and gritty, right? Again, I you know I'm in, I'm really enjoying the art style here. Um, and this and the artist is uh, Lee uh, Bermejo, but um, it, it's really straightforward. I mean, it's set, the setting is it's Gotham. Uh, Joker has been off the scene. You know, he's been locked up in Arkham Asylum, and uh, you know his his gang has kind of run a rot muck. Um, they've divvied up his territory, and um, you know he they they've kind of just assumed he's not coming back, and then of course. It opens and he's like out. He's out of he's out of Arkham Asylum. He's back. How does that happen? Yeah, no one knows. And that's the first question everybody asks. Like, yo, man, how'd you get out? And he's like, Yeah, don't worry about that, you know. And he's like, they're like he's like, I'm not crazy anymore. And they're like, Oh man. So but what's cool about this is right, yeah. I mean, it's already started. Like they like the second page, you already know what's gonna happen. But um what's cool is like it's it's narrated by what what looks like this new kind of upcoming like two bit thug. Uh, named uh, I think it's Johnny Frost, right? And he's like, they're they're like, oh, Joker's getting out today. Who's gonna get him? And everybody's like, I don't know, man. Like I'm not getting him. And, and so uh, Johnny <laughs> Frost's like, yo, man, I mean, I'll do it. So he shows up. Joker's like, who are you? And he's like, man, I'm Johnny. And like the whole time, it's like his whole goal is like, yo, like if I can get like next to Joker, then like people will know who I am. And so I'm gonna go on these. Like, I'm gonna go on these like missions with Joker. But like you know, you know, Joker is just. He is such a unpredictable, volatile character. Everybody around him, they they never never know which way he's going to zig or zag. And I don't even know if Joker knows. 
And so uh, Johnny's sitting there, and like they just they show him, he's like sweating and nervous. And Joker's <laughs> looking at him, he's like, "Man, like you know, you nervous?" He he's toying with him. He's like, "Yo, you you feel better?" Like he's like, "There's a scene early." He's like, "Yo, Johnny, you got a gun?" He's like, "Yeah, yeah, you can have it, boss." And then he's like, "Oh, you look nervous. Like you you want it back?" And like hands him the gun back, and Johnny's like, "Uh, okay." But like he never knows when the other shoe is gonna drop, and it's just and you're you're reading the whole thing. You're like, I know he's narrating, but it's Joker, like. I know he's going through something. Like Johnny can't make it. Like you know, and so <laughs> every every scene, you're just like, oh, how is Johnny going to get through this? Like I have to. In the way it's written, I bet you Johnny's thinking the same thing. And um, so it's this Joker's going back, and he's just reclaiming his 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 territory. And every he has a reputation. It's Joker, so he's back, and he's going to his like the the, the mob heads, the minor bosses that have t- taken up his territory, and he's trying to get it back. But he does it the Joker way. Right, it's not like oh, um, let me go get what's owed to me. He's like, oh, well, let me go rob a bank first. Like, let me just pull a crazy heist, and then after that, let me go see if I can like bring, bring like um, you know these these old bo- mob bosses back into like you know alignment. But it's you know you know how Joker is it's scorched earth with him. Like he he doesn't care, and so he's in there and he's just like whatever his whim is. Someone says something the wrong way. Someone looks at someone looks at um um. Harley Quinn the wrong way, whatever. It doesn't take much to take to make Joker go sadistic. And I, just one example: they're at a strip club, and one of the guys that works works with Joker makes a comment that just rubs Joker the wrong way. And it seems like you're reading it, you're like, ah, nah, it can make sense. Joker brings Killer Croc into the club, and the guy's like, yo, man, like, why you bring him in here, man? He's like an animal, which you know, technically, Killer Croc might be an animal, and so. Joker doesn't like it. And actually, you know, the next scene, like they're at a strip club. Next scene, the, the same guy who made that comment has been um has been flayed by Joker on stage. Ooh. Right? It's just, so it's just like, and everybody, that's the exact same reaction everybody had. Like, Ooh. <laughs> like oh, uh, okay. And Johnny's sitting back there like, yo, man, I, I don't know. Like, I, you know, he's trying to, it's kind of like um Icarus. That's what Johnny, Johnny is like Icarus, man. He's really close to the sun the entire time. And mm-hmm. you're just waiting for his wings to melt. And, and so it, it, it's a, it's really interesting. It's a real, it's a straightforward book. I mean, it's it's a classic Joker piece. There's nothing, nothing, nothing crazy going on here except for Joker himself. And, and like, it's, it's a page turner. Mm-hmm. It's, it's easy to get through, Um, but it's, it's dark, man. It's, you know, being inside Joker's head is not a place you want to stay. No. So I thought he skinned him because, you know, he, you know, he was supposed to be, you know, part of Joker's crew, but Joker's crew fell apart. You know, he, they didn't hold it up. He was, he seemed to be like, he was the guy that was supposed to get him, was supposed to get Joker, but, you know, the other guy went instead. You know, it seemed like he was supposed to be like the lieutenant and yeah. he clearly didn't do the job. So that's why Joker skinned him. Well, you know? I mean, Joker's bad, right? And all of them. Right, they didn't take care of Joker while he was locked up. They Joker lost all his wealth. They they make it clear. Joker comes back out. He's got nothing. Not that not that Joker doesn't know how to make his money back. Nor does Joker really even care. You know, Joker's got one focus, right? And that's just Batman. He don't care about anything mm-hmm. else. He just wants to see Batman. In fact, there's a point in time where they're like, "Yo, man, like so and so, so so and so's like I don't know, thinking about you, or or you know, you're gonna he's gonna notice what you're doing." He's like, oh, "Who? Like who? Like he's like Batman? Like nah, nah, nah. <laughs> We're talking about Harvey Dent." He's like. I ain't no one care about the Harvey Dent. What what about Batman? <laughs> and so, but yeah, Joffrey, I, I agree with you. Like, I, he definitely had it in for that guy. Um, but you know, I don't think Joker knew when and how. Right? He's just like, yeah, yeah, you because know, he kill he kills a bunch of people throughout this book that mm-hmm. you know he is disappointed in. It doesn't even, but like you know, Joker rewards loyalty with violence. So you know, it's just 
it's it to me it's always a just it's just mind boggling that he can even pull a crew together because you kind of <laughs> know what's happening on the other end of that crew. You know, you either get, you know he's either going up inside your head with a bottle, or he's putting you on stage and taking your skin off. Like it's Joker can't be trusted, but somehow he still has a crew. And it's, I guess, it's inspiring in some ways. Anybody will work with you, but I don't know. Man. I think it's funny that uh, first of all, Joker is just chaos personified, right? You know, yeah. whereas you know Batman is supposed to be like order personified in a way. Um, and I feel like that's always an interesting, you know, juxtaposition between those two. But how bad must things be in Gotham where you are just so hard up? You're like, I have to work for Joker now. <laughs> like, well, you know, that, that, was, that was an interesting perspective, right? Because the two examples, right? Yeah, Killer Croc, who's probably crazy too, you know, he, they, he was excited that Joker's back. You know, just some mayhem's going to pursue. Um, and then also you have, what was his name again? The, the narrator, that guy? Oh, Johnny, um, Johnny Frost. Johnny Frost and to see his perspective where it's just like, what are you doing? Just to Chris, the way Chris describes it was perfect as far as like, you feel nervous for this guy. Like he's going to die any minute. But from, from his perspective, he was like, Oh man, this is my chance to, to be with like the big boys and to, for people to know my name. And, you know, so he was excited to roll with Joker. So, you know, there's, there were people out there that really wanted it, but it just seemed so crazy. Yeah, and there's like scenes where Johnny says something, and you just like having experience with Joker, like just throughout the years, like you just know it's a trigger for Joker. Like for example, the Johnny's like, I can't take, you know, I think there's some point where Johnny's having some anxiety, and Joker's like, take these pills. Like everybody takes pills. He goes on a little, he's like, pills, 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 pills make you better. And Johnny's like, "Uh, I can't take the pills. And just this moment, like even as a reader, you're like, oh, Johnny, you ain't take the pill. Oh man, you're going. You're, you're surely done now. Like you know, but Joker, like somehow, like he just takes it in stride, and like, yeah, he definitely gives Johnny a little bit of a hard time, but like it, it doesn't end Johnny there. But you know, you just know, like it's like you can't, you can't stay in Joker's like shadow for long before Joker turns around and does something to you. So, yeah, man. And it's, like I said, it's, it's it's cool. It's a cool read. If you ever get, you know, if you haven't yet and you get a chance, uh, pick it up and then, like, you know, dive into the Dark World Joker. Are you a comic book creator looking for a new or additional engagement platform for your community? Then come take a look at Brilliance. Brilliance is a blockchain-powered platform where authors can publish eBooks, crowdfund new creative ideas, and connect with their readers. With Brilliance, authors can set royalties that endure beyond the initial sale to include royalties on resale of the book. That's right. Unlike many other ebook providers, Brilliance allows users to resell their books on the marketplace, and with each sale, the original creator will receive their royalty payment directly to their account. Authors are free to price their works however they would like. Unlike other platforms, Brilliance does not pressure creators into pricing restrictions. By unlocking pricing, Brilliance allows for natural price discovery and a true relationship between the creator and their devoted readership. Additionally, by leveraging Brilliance's blockchain technology, authors can access all the readers who have owned their work or even works of a similar genre. 
This gives the authors an opportunity to build their own distribution lists, connect directly with their fan bases, and grow their unique community. There are many more benefits to this game-changing platform. Learn more and sign up by going to brilliance.io. That's brilliance.io. Let's establish a new paradigm. All right, everybody, we have a great guest today. Um, I'm going to let him introduce himself, but I, I came across this young man at the Baltimore Comic-Con. He, he clearly is a talented artist. Um, he's doing creations, and he's collaborating with another one of our guests that we had recently, Rod. Um, so it'll be great to hear a little bit more about him. Uh, Jordan, why don't you just go ahead and tell us a little about who you are and your background. Well, hello, everyone. I'm Jordan. I'm the owner of J.P. Jackson Art. It's a Baltimore-based publishing company and production company. So I develop comic books for other independent authors. Um, and I also write and illustrate my own stories. And my journey started out where I had studied animation in college. Uh, I went to Micah, studied animation there. And then I kind of, I got out of school in 2016. And I didn't really know where I kind of fit in in the world um, because I knew I wanted to tell my own stories, but I didn't know how to do that through animation while making money. <laughs> right. And um, and so um, I started going to Comic Cons in about 2019. So that's, that's where I started, and that's how I linked up with another independent author, uh, Rod Van Blake, and he hired me to illustrate his first graphic novel, Ancient Illumination, which I worked with him to adapt that from a novel into a graphic novel, which is like a very unique experience. I was like, yeah, I can I can make this, and I did. I was like, I'm gonna make this thing. Um, but basically I, I bought one of his books, I read through it and I gave my, you know, professional advice. I'm like, okay, so we can do. And so we decided to translate two of his chapters from his novel into one volume of a graphic novel. And so it's, it's been a very like fun working relationship, being able to like have the freedom to take his input or take his writing kind of reimagine it and he's like super cool about it like he's very like open to suggestions and it, it creates a more collaborative and fun experience so when people and, get to see that in that medium in the in the graphic novel visual medium it's always something kind of different so i if, before you talk a little something about your writing and we'll we'll get into that um what is the difference you know because in, in this case your partnership you have somebody that's kind of creating this story and you're trying mm -hmm. to put it on the page versus when it's your own you can create the characters that you see fit do you have a preference on which do you prefer is, is one more freeing or you know uh working with clients or writers is always a more freeing process because i don't have to like activate different parts of my brand Just sit down and i do what i know how to do like that comes to me the easiest which is exactly. drawing Versus when I'm more of a writer, I feel like I'm almost like this architect trying to like kind of build out this world and like craft the story. So it has, it, for me, it's a much different experience writing for myself, but it's okay. also even more complex because I have to write it and I have to illustrate it and I have to market it. Well, why don't we just jump right into it? The book that I picked up while I was there was uh, The Eve of Insurrection. You know, illustrations are, are sick, man. Um, Thank you. So it. tell us a little okay. bit about it. So the Eve of Insurrection is a science fiction series set in a somewhat distant future. 
where corporations have built underground cities. And my main character, Lana Baker, she's a young, she's a wealthy black woman in her late 20s, and she uses her family's wealth and technology to give back to other communities while leading the double, double life as a vigilante known as a shadow queen. And she leads a criminal syndicate where they go out, they strike against different corporations, mm. fight against their police forces and different gangs to protect other communities and their own. And Lana's getting to a point in her career where nothing is changing. She's exhausted. She has one last thing she could do that could change the entire world. But I'm going to have to leave it there. I can't say anything, <laughs> all right, can't say all anything right. else, but it's going to be a seven-part series. And so every issue is a day leading up to that final moment. Hence okay. insurrection, even insurrection. But the funny part is what started this was the Capitol riots. Really? Um, well, yes, that was literally watching this this almost like divide on Twitter where mm-hmm. like you had some of my white friends were like the world's ending. And then, <laughs> and then all my black friends were like, well, this is just normal. Like <laughs> this is not fracturing Americans. So I don't get it. Like, so I, I was inspired by that. I was inspired by like, I had a friend who, a um, friend from Philly, um, shout out to Kay Watkins. She uh, was doing a lot of like protesting um, during during a lot of police brutality and stuff that was happening in Philly. And I wanted to tell a story that follows like a like a black woman who who's like constantly fighting for her community. But she's like getting to that point where like she doesn't have the support she needs. And so we're kind of like trying I'm, I'm I really want to talk about just how black women have been very present and here for our community and try and all these activist groups and all these revolutionary moments and across yep. time. It's important. And, and, I like that. Yeah, to honor that, to honor that. And um, so I really wanted to tell kind of this vigilante story. And because I was like, Batman, the annoying part of Batman, because Batman's my, I like Batman. I love, I love Batman. But what annoyed me is that the Wayans never really saw the problem of capitalism. Like there were still these like issues of poverty and Gotham. There's still crime in Gotham. Yeah. And so, in my world, the Shadow Queen is more of like the vengeance that Batman imbues. And Milana is more like we've solved the problem of capitalism through like socialism and like giving everybody access to food technology. So you don't need this kind of like forced competition. Mm-hmm. And um, and I just really wanted to show black women just burning shit down. <laughs> because like they're never afforded the right to like there's always like the stereotypes of like like the angry black woman, but it's like it's a stereotype because we never we never shine light on like, hey, why is this black woman angry and why not just see her as a human being that's like reacting to some real messed up stuff. Yeah. Okay. I got you. So where did some of these the futuristic illustrations come from? Because it's cool stuff, man. Uh just just out of your head. Any any inspiration? For me, the Nubian Brotherhood, the the gang that I introduced, so these characters, mm-hmm. yeah, these, this guy right here, um, I was very inspired visually from like the Persians from 300, and so okay. like, like, how do we take the Persians? How do we bring in kind of the Egyptian um, designs and aesthetic to that? Because that's what the the Nubian Brotherhood is a gang that's kind of a reference to like the Hebrew Israelites or, or hotels and like kind of bringing those together into one kind of entity. Um, and uh, overall with the story, my visual aesthetic was based off of Blade Runner, Ghost in the Shell. Yeah. So that, that, that vibe. 
very gotcha. much that Tron, Tron. Everyone, everyone, when I say Tron, everybody's like, yeah, no, just Tom was like, yes, a big Tron yeah. fan. So all those things kind of influence like my style and aesthetic when it comes to the kind of glows, the kind of cyberpunk look. Where do you see your um, your series going? Do you have uh, growth? Are you building an entire you know universe? Or are you, are you thinking about other yeah. mediums that you want to get into? What where where's your vision? Oh, you where are you gonna me. go? You got me. You got me. I feel like I'm trapped. <laughs> um. So my initial goal with the Eve of Insurrection it started out. I really wanted to be just say seven seven books. And then as I started writing it, I realized I wanted to tell more stories in this world. So yes, it's becoming a giant universe at this point. So all these different gangs and characters that I can talk about. And I'd love to, I'm open to like working with different writers to help expand these different stories from different cultures and communities. So that's the main priority. But once I've like solidified and completed the Eve of Insurrection, I would be open to doing this animation. It's just a lot of people ask for this. And because I'm an animator, I know like this is mad expensive, <laughs> and it takes a lot of time. Like I know, I, I know, I like I like I've made short films, and I know how long it took me to like make my own short film while I was in college. And I'm like, I have like a day, I have a full time career now, so that changed, and now we have to get into the conversation of like you know finding a full animation studio to like do that help kind of build this out so it's it's a it's a long process yeah so you're in maryland um are there outlets or channels or groups that you kind of connect with as you you're growing your your community in around here or how, how do you kind of build your community so for my i've joined a few comic book creator groups um and outside of that there's like black comic creators on facebook uh, but mostly my community building is through conventions, like like meeting people like you, mm -hmm. going there and actually talking to my customers. Like that's where I find like I'm my best because I can. You get to see a face, yeah. You get to see a whole human being. I, I'm not really good with the like online person, like trying to convey like you know myself through social media posts or just constantly like marketing, like trying to drill that into people. I'm more of a like in person more intimate type person that's how kind of how i go roll yeah yeah so um you know the quality of of that book eve of insurrection mm -hmm. is, is good solid quality where did you go about publishing it and, and putting it together getting it printed what how did you go about doing that finding out how to do that yeah so luckily working with rod and working with other and self-published authors they gave me the they like gave me the blueprint i was like oh i can just make this thing <laughs> mm -hmm. I can make this thing and put it out in the world. I don't need anyone to give me approval. I like I, I like the first book. I had to. I be, I um I basically just spent four months working on the artwork. I mean, writing another four months illustrating, and I used the funds I had to just print print out my books, and then I would take them to conventions and then sell them to market. And then after my second book, The Eve of Reclamation, I hired an editor. Uh, I had a really good working relationship with her. And then we were able to like, I did, I got more into the process of working with an editor and also hire a letterer to do do that work as well. So that was like a game changer because I'm like, I don't have to do all this stuff. <laughs> how did you find like, a letterer? <laughs> you said where? How did, yeah, how did you go about finding how, a letterer? Um, I went to a 
I went in 2021. I went to a event in San Diego, San Diego called Black Comics Day. Okay. And one of my neighboring vendors walked into my work and she critiqued the Eve of Insurrection. And her name was Jess Havoc. And she said, Hey, I also do lettering. And I'm like, What? I, <laughs> so I was like, Let's work together. And so I actually, she's super cool. And so she, she worked on Eve of Reclamation with me. And like, she just, open my mind to like just the amazing potential to just work with other people and like she had a really good design sensibility you know be, being a professional letter so that really helped me like step back and just be like oh i can relax yeah. and um and then i've also plugged her into working with rod and different clients because like everybody needs a letter and so it's like it's been it's kind of been that like perfect genius and timing of things nice what would you say has been one of your has been one of the biggest challenges, you know, in this industry for you in the development of of your your graphic novels? For me, it's the digital marketing mm -hmm. and and trying to be consistent and and on on an almost daily basis and saying finding creative ways to say, hey, buy my book. And, <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's kind of the hard part is like kind of developing these strategies on a digital platform. Just because, hey, it's better for me to do this in person. It just it just works better. It just I don't know. Human beings like that's mm -hmm. that's that's a part. I think that's another challenge that I've had is like balancing projects. Because in one year, like last year, I had three client projects on top of my own, and so I was like, which ones? How are we gonna do this? And so I was like trying to find the best strategy to get things done efficiently and you know ec economically just for like my time and just having that kind of work-life balance. What about um, e-publishing? What What is your experience with, you know, just that medium? I, it sounds like you do a lot of stuff digitally as well. Mm -hmm. Do you, as far as distributing your books electronically, how has your experience been with that? Do you have certain avenues that you use? Is it just your like website or do you go to mm -hmm. Amazon or how do you handle your e-publishing? So experience? for me, I didn't see the point of putting my project on Amazon. That didn't, didn't really make sense. Why is that? Um, because a Amazon's gonna take a cut. If I can tell people to go to my to Amazon, why don't they just take them to my website? Like it's not it's not doesn't make sense. I, I have it on a digital platform. If you are invested in these stories and you want to support me, just go directly to the source and get your content. There's no reason to stop at Amazon. Gotcha. So that that was why. And so I also I feel like I haven't really there could be more avenues I could be taking to for e-publishing. Like there could be more other things like playing around with the metaverse and gaining more traction that way. But like I said earlier, I haven't feel like I haven't really put a hundred percent into e-publishing besides just keeping it strictly on my website. And that's it. Yeah. We, we, we talked a little bit about that when we were, when I met you about the mm -hmm. metaverse and some of the things, what are you thinking about doing there? Oh, come on, yeah. Freaking, I, can't, I can't talk about this. I feel like I'm in a movie now, Black Grant. It's not happening. I cannot confirm or deny. Um, there you go. There you go. Hey. There's some. There's something I want to do with the metaverse that is related to one of my comic books. To the Eve of Reclamation specifically, that story actually takes place in the metaverse. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted, I found a way to create a unique experience, but I actually cannot tell you. I can't. Right. I want to right. surprise y'all because that's the type of person I am. Like you gotta, you gotta just wait for it. you can see it. Like oh, I didn't see that coming. But um, 
You hear that, you audience? We gotta just stay tuned, it. okay? Yeah, stay tuned. That's you gotta stay tuned. That's all I'm gonna say, folks. Is stay tuned. But I am. There's some things I'm doing in Metaverse. Would like to do with the Metaverse in 3D spaces. That's all I'm gonna say. That's dope. That's dope. For our listeners, if um, there might be some out there that are younger and just trying to, you know, interested <laughs> in in comics and trying to figure out how to get started. What would you recommend? You know, you have the, the illustrating background. How would you recommend them getting involved if, if they're interested in drawing and and making creations? How would they start? Any advice for them? Too many, too many things. Um, <laughs> one thing from an artist's perspective is to like go out into the world and draw what you see. Like look, study the world. Like look at the world. And from a this is owning your intellectual property. So this is like I'm putting on my other hat. Um, I think that people need to understand that like we all have stories we want to tell and we cannot rely on other corporations, other people to tell that story for us. And we really need to, there, it takes a level of confidence and, and risk, but you have to really put yourself out there and just create the things that you want to see. And things aren't going to be perfect, and, and but that's okay. You can create this thing and it can grow and evolve over time and get better and better. But I just, I tell young artists, draw, create the things you want to see, tell the stories you want to see from a writing perspective. Mm-hmm. And keep studying. And that's that that another big thing. Study is, study a lot of art, artists, different creators that you like. If you want to borrow some of those styles, influences, but just keep studying and observing the world. Yeah, I hear you. This, Jordan, this has been great, man. Um, but before before you go, mm-hmm. please share with the audience how they can uh, find you, get in contact with you, um, to stay stay attached to some of the projects you're working on. Oh, uh, you can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter if it still didn't exist. At JC <laughs> Jackson Arts is my business. You can follow me on those uh, those social media platforms, and my website is jpjacksonart.com. Ah, uh, excellent, Jordan. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, man. It's been great catching up. All right, everybody. That's our show. You can follow us on Instagram and TikTok at issues.on.issues, YouTube at issues on issues, and Twitter at comics underscore issues. We'd love to hear from you. So email us at comics at brilliance.io. Please like, share, and subscribe to our show to continue the conversation. This podcast was edited by Britt. Special thanks to him for putting this all together.